You're listening to Grit Files. I'm Mark Bloodbrook, your host, and welcome to File One. Each weekly episode, you will meet incredible people from around the world. Each one of these people has been through some traumatic event that has resulted in the loss of a limb. These are true stories of resilience, passion, perseverance, and grit. Be aware this does contain graphic content. File one, Andrew Chavi, a Bali bombing terrorist survivor, successful businessman, and double leg amputee. In his words, you gotta have a go, mate. If we could just start right away with, uh, you know, tell me about, I suppose, your life and the direction you're going before the, the I guess, the, the incident. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, I was uh, 35 years of age. Um, and yeah, my life was simple. It was me running a, a security company, enjoying the physical activities of running a security company, training guard dogs, martial arts, and um, I love running and I love physical. So I liked uh, water, you know water sports like uh, surfing and diving and fishing. And um, I got a passion for motorbikes. So my life was pretty good. I, I was working hard and in some, some cases, typically Australian, I was working hard, playing hard. And, um, you know, I loved my career. And then, of course, um, you know, my life probably changed actually one year before Bali when it was ironic on the 12th of October, which was a Friday in 2001, I actually had a motorcycle accident and I fractured a C2 vertebrae and three back fractures um, riding my bike up in the hinterland right. and then heading into hospital, having my, my neck pinned and uh, explaining the motorcycle accident to my mum who was a nurse. So getting back on a bike 12 weeks later, getting back around that corner a lot slower this time, that was the way I rolled. You know, if yeah, I right. got knocked down, I'd get up and um, life was good. So... Even with the neck injury, I got back into doing everything I wanted to do. And, of course, um, you know, I was Gold Coast Junior Chamber of Commerce president. I was networking. My business was growing. And, um, you know, and then I turned 30, 36 and my two mates said, uh, hey, we want to go on a holiday and we want to go to Bali in uh, October 2002. Great. Great. Wow. So, you know, you, you, you kind of had it laid out for you didn't you you've, you've worked hard and um and it's uh and it's um it's it's paid off you got a great business you know you survived a um maybe a little bit of a wake-up call with the motorcycle accident but up until that point you're just going great guns yeah it was and um my business was going really well and um it afforded me a holiday with my two mates glenn cosman and glenn forster so when they said, look, we want to go to Bali, I said, oh, look, I've got a diving ticket. I wouldn't mind going somewhere else. But they said, look, hey, two against one. I said, great. Let's book the tickets. Here's my credit card details and let's go. Three of my mates on, on, on a holiday. Right. The two boys were real estate agents and um, and I thought, you know, what a great time to go. Let's go and have a holiday in the sun, you know, do some surfing. So, look, we, um, we did go to Bali. Um, it was funny because... Um, my actual passport um, coming into Denpasar, Bali, was due to expire in January and they actually pulled me in the customs office and said, look, um, passport not six months, three months, you're on the next flight home. And I actually, in 2002, I actually slid a $50 note across the table 
And then another one, I gave him $200. The guy stamped my passport and then he let me go through the, uh, the turnstile. Yeah. But you know wow. what was ironic is, uh, it's ironic, something. isn't it? That, yeah, it's ironic that um, maybe that would have been my saviour, you know, not getting into Bali in that 2002 year. But... Look, you know, I went through the turnstiles and my mate said, look what happened, what happened? I said, oh, just let's keep walking. Let's get out of this airport and get to resort, you know. And I told them the story. They couldn't believe it that I'd bribed my way into Bali. Um, but, you know, more for that guy because um, the customs officer wanted an extra $400 US on the way out and I ended up on a Hercules medical jet, you know, on the, on the return trip to Darwin. <laughs> so you yeah, never right. got his right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, that isn't anything to laugh at, but isn't that isn't that crazy? What a, what a story! So, so maybe yeah. we can go straight to you know at this stage. Let's go straight into it. I mean, I know um, you know that that was the year that I moved just moved to Australia. Actually, I'd only been here for um, for probably a month when that happened. But uh, and I remember yeah. seeing you on television. I see you on an interview. Where you're on a on a stretcher, and they interviewed you before uh, just moments after, actually. Actually, you might have actually been in the hospital at the time, but it was quite something. So yeah, maybe you could just, you know, without, without, you know, drawing up too much, maybe you just gave me, walk, walk me through what, what happened there. Yeah, well, you're right. Um, really tragic event. Obviously, we, uh, the two Glens and I went to uh, Kuta, the, the nightclub hotspot of Bali, and, you know, we'd been to see a band there. We'd been seeing Jimmy Barnes, you know, a few days beforehand. He was playing in Bali, but... We went into um, uh, went into the nightclub, um, and then uh, they had two for one drinks, you know. And then we decided at ten thirty we'd go across the road into the Sari Club, and you know we um, we got in the Sari Club there. It was the same as every other night. It was you know eight hundred people in there. You're in there in a pair of board shorts and runners, and you got money in your pocket, and you know you're saying, well, this is going to be a great night until that moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the bomb's gone off, you know, and my memories of that exact moment when that blast happened was a, a massive thud to my chest and then, you know, you're thrown onto the dance floor like a rag doll and you're unconscious, you know, and then, yeah, right. I don't know, minutes later I uh, regained consciousness and, and, you know, it felt so hot and the nightclub canopy had fallen in and um, and the whole place was engulfed in fire and, I'm trying to crawl away from the fire and um, I try to stand up and my left leg's at right angle above the ankle and I try to stand up the right foot and my toes yeah. burn off, you know. And um, So I start crawling, you know, and it was so hot. I crawled away from the heat and luckily I crawled towards the front of the club and um, I actually fell into that crater where the car bomb had gone off out the front of the club and... For some reason, there weren't too many people around me, and um, this guy had uh, come out of the darkness, um, Tony McKay, and he yelled out, and he goes, there's a guy still alive, you know, dig it down and um, need some help, and he dragged me um, out of that pit and uh, across the road. Um, and he was my first angel that night. Um, yeah. I said to him, mate, my injuries, I'm bleeding out, and he was actually a soldier, and... Um, he tourniqueted my leg and, uh, and they put me on a, a piece of corrugated iron and, um, and carried me down the laneway, you know, to try and try and assist me further. 
Yeah, amazing. Right. Wow. So he, he, he kind of first responder as a mate, he, he kind of potentially saved your life there, huh? He did, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And they wrapped my toes up and a guy uh, wrapped up a T-shirt and um, put his fist in my right knee to uh, keep that closed. There was a massive hole in uh, inside my right knee. But I kept that leg. Um, unfortunately, I'm above knee. Uh, left leg and uh, that half right foot is uh, is amputated. Yeah. Right. Wow. Wow. So I mean, it's uh, not that I want to relive it there, uh, Andy, but it's just happened so quickly, hasn't it? And then all of a sudden, you're you're thinking, okay, I've just got to get out of this. This obviously fire is not a good thing, so you've got to get yourself out of there. And um, I guess the rest of it, you just you know, it's just second to second autopilot, really, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. You, um, I was lying there in the dark um, and I could hear people around me in extreme pain and, and the noises and the sound. And you're also hearing um, the secondary explosions of fuel tanks and, and motorbike tanks. And at one stage we were showered with um, ambers and um, there was a panic amongst uh, the people looking after us and they picked us all up and, uh, and moved us further down the laneway. Um, as a building's all caught fire, you know, it's yeah. amazing. It sounds like you had your senses about you, so you knew you knew you were, uh, you know, you're badly injured, right? I mean, I mean, it sounds like it. Is it? Was there any sort of okay? I'm all right. I should be okay, or was it? No, I'm I'm actually pretty fucked up here. Guaranteed. Um, I went through several emotions. Um, there was a lady, Lorraine Borg, there, and she wrote down the details of my parents because um, I know they thought I wasn't going to make it. And um, and I said, I'm okay. And then there's other times when you said, hey, I need some water or I can't see, you know, we're all covered in, in soot. Um, so I actually uh, crossed myself uh, being religious and I, I gave myself the last rites, to be honest. And I said, look, you know, tell my little boy I love him and my parents. And um, that was the way it went. That was a conversation. And she said she stood there behind me in the dark so that, I wouldn't die alone, but um, but I, I somehow made it through. Wow, wow, that's what a story. Well, that's incredible. What a trauma, mate. And, and so you're in hospital. You're in a different. I mean, obviously, I don't even know getting to hospital. I I've been to Bali once, and my recollection, yeah. it's uh, yeah. you know, it's not it's not uh, first world stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, you you find yourself in a rickshaw going to a hospital. Is that what happened, or what? what? Yeah, I was in, uh, I got recollections of um, being in the back of a, a black ute. Um, and then I went to one hospital and it was it was full because I was actually in the laneway for nearly four hours before I was able to get transported. Um, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that needed um, assistance. So in being down that laneway, we were probably a bit obscured, but um, yeah, eventually I was in an ambulance and then off to Sanglar Hospital where they, they did the, the first amputation, which was above my ankle and, and my toes, yeah, in Sanglar in, in Bali. Right, so they, they, they did the amputation in Bali? Initial ones, yeah. Yeah. So um, at that stage, I'm still, you know, well below the knee um, on the left leg and, and only toes. But, um, you know, in being um, moved um, and evacuated out by uh, the RAF, um, Australian government, you know, on Monday and Tuesday, we uh, 
I, I got the second uh, second Hercules jet out, and um, it's based out some of the injured people. Um, and I remember we were all stacked up, bunks high, you know, four bunks high. And, you know, we were given some uh, medication and cooled down. It was probably the first medication we'd had in 12, 18 hours. You know, it was uh, everything ran out in barley, sure. no bandages, no pain medication. Um, so we um, we were managed pretty well on the plane and uh, and then into Darwin and triaged on the tarmac there, you know. And um, I've seen footage of me coming off that jet uh, to the tarmac and I don't know, I got my hand up waving for some reason, but, um, you know, I still felt that I was okay, but, um, you know, obviously from there I slipped into about 10 days of ICU and flatlined and... Uh, right. Obviously you weren't out of the woods yet, they, eh? uh, they managed yeah. to save my life, you know. In, yeah. um, no, was, that, was that, where, where no, was that, in Brisbane here? Or was that in Sydney? Where, where do they take you uh, to? That was Darwin. They were still working on me in Darwin and um, they um, had to do several more amputations on the left leg to eventually be below to above and then that half right foot um, while they skin graft the inside of my knee close. So, yeah, I was, um, I was pretty problematic. We are all... Uh, also, we were all burnt. Our, um, our lungs were burnt, um, damaged and full of soot. And uh, and we had infections like you wouldn't believe from um, you know it, that dirt and um, and me especially falling into the the crater outside the nightclub was filthy. Um, we had just a horrific um, secondary and third infections. Um, you know that that we, our body was trying to fight. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what what I've found, and certainly in my situation, there was there's always a moment where there was a moment um, where I found is quite common where, you know, you just don't, you didn't realize as that, as the victim essentially as the person who's been injured that you're that, you know, in, in, you know, in that much strife, essentially someone, you know, doctor comes out and says, we're going to have to amputate your leg as if to announce it. Um, But in your situation, you pretty well knew something was up there. Was there any surprise when they, when they said that happened or were you conscious when they told you they were going to, they're going to remove, you know, parts of your body? Yeah, well, you know, that's uh, it's interesting because you can relate to it because I thought, and I had some secondary dreams and things, um, I thought that I was, that a, a gas cylinder had blown up next to me, you know. Uh, I didn't realise um, until I was out of ICU and into recovery ward that I was actually the victim of a terrorist bombing and that I'd actually lost my leg and my foot. Um, the day they told me, um, they pulled me out of bed in one of those large slings and they said, we're going to sit you up. And they sat me up and they told me what happened. And I just looked down at my body and the emotion poured out. And it poured out for two days, seriously. Mm-hmm. The self-pity, I was scared. I didn't know what I was going to do as a man, missing that much of my body. I didn't know where my friends were and I had no recollection of what occurred at that time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But yet I talked about it and told my mum everything um, while I was pretty much um, out of it for somehow. I can't remember the conversation. So I started blocking things out that hurt me. Right, right. 
wow, that's just, that's incredible story. Wow. So, so when you sat up, uh, Andy, you look down and you go, okay, processing. I now have where, where feet used to be. I now just have these bandages. I clearly, you know, there's a, there's some parts missing there. Um, that yeah. darkness that you speak of is a common thing um, that I've found is that it's, you know, you just don't know what's next. How is this possible? How can I live my life? It's just not on. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's basically there's no light down that tunnel at all, is there? No, no. Wow. So, yeah, so what, if just, I could uh, ask, what happened to your mates uh, on that night? Yeah, well, my two mates, um, Glenn Forster is taller with darker hair. He, um, he had a really bad shrapnel injury on his leg, similar to what had happened to mine. And, um, He'd actually been blown on top of um, uh, Glenn, our other mate, um, both first names Glenn. But um, so uh, uh, Glenn uh, with the blonde hair, Glenn Cosman, he actually dragged uh, Glenn Forster out of the club. But that canopy that collapsed um, onto the front of the club and, and was engulfed in fire, he couldn't get back into the club. And... Um, he tells me how he had um, came back to, to Glenn and said, whole club's on fire. I can't see Andy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think he's dead. Right. Wow. That would have been, that's just, it's hard to even fathom that, uh, hard to even fathom it, mate. Seriously. That's yeah. something. And so, uh, you know, you've, you've flown back uh, to the Northern Territory. Obviously your family's flown up there, have they? Or yeah, my mum was assisted by, um, so I've been a Rotarian 18, 20 years, and my mum was assisted by one of our Rotarians, a travel agent, and she got the last seat on uh, on, a, on a plane, Qantas plane up to Darwin. And what occurred then is beyond belief with my mother. My mother walked into the ward. My limb on the left leg was still wrapped up. My toe, my, my right ankle and leg was wrapped up. And her being an ex-repat nurse at Austin and Heidelberg, repat in Melbourne, and a nurse of 35, 40 years, she said, you've got to come and check my son. His wounds are gangrenous. I was boffing at the mouth. They had all these other patients. They'd wrapped it up, and they said he looked, he looked okay. There I was, you know, waist up, tanned, healthy, fit, 95 kilo. And she said, no. Can't you see it? Can't you smell it? They brought the surgeons in. They operated that night. Yeah. They did They did two or three more amputations mm. to, um, to save my life. If yeah. my mother had been 12 hours later, I would have been dead. Yeah. Yeah. It happens real quick. Right? She's amazing. Yeah, that's, that is amazing. She's, uh, she's another one of your angels then, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So, it's... You know, it is. I'm listening. I think where do I even start? Um, but you know, not to, not to 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 dwell. You know, to move past this, obviously riveting, incredible story. Uh, you know, let's let's sort of move to the to the experience. You've you've now had the amputations. It's they've they've got to some you know some some healthy tissue, um, and they're saying, okay, this is it. You know, we're we're done now. Is that what happened or or um, once they, they got to that healthy tissue and they had done it, they said, okay, you've got to be well enough so we can get you back down to, 
you know, your home? What, what, how long did yeah. it take to get out of Northern Territory and, and back from Darwin down to, to the GC, the Gold Coast? Yeah. Well, it, uh, it, it unfortunately took a while. It took a lot of patience. So you're right. We had the amputation of the left leg. And then as I thought I was getting better, they had to skin graft the inside of my knee and then the foot um, on the right-hand side, but that shortened the bone. Um, the skin wasn't grafting very well on that left leg, so they shortened the bone. I was eight and a half weeks in Darwin. I was the last Australian to get out of there. And then I was actually on a stretcher, still bedridden, basically, not able to walk um, and wait there. And, um, you know, no even thought of prosthetics at that stage. So eight and a half weeks in Darwin, stretched on a Qantas plane, back to the Gold Coast ambulance, off the Gold, uh, ambulance out of Brisbane, sorry, on back into the Gold Coast, back into the same hospital that I was in one year, one year before with my motorcycle fractures. Wow. Jesus. That's incredible. Um, you know, what, what about your support? You've come back here. Obviously it's high profile as well. So, you know, you'd be getting some press and, uh, um, and so forth, but, uh, that, that hopefully that wasn't too much of a distraction. Yeah, when we were in Darwin, my, my mum and dad and I were very private. I was worried about my business and my staff. And, um, you know, my staff, one of my managers stepped up and spoke to all of my security officers down here. And two of them said, oh, well, what about him? He, the business is going to fail if he dies, you know. Um, he actually invited those two staff members to the front foyer and then dismissed them. Right. The, the support right. I had from my management, my staff, my clients, my family, my mates um, was incredible. It got me through. There were, you know, someone had, um, you know, bought me a laptop. I had my mobile phone there. My mum and dad had, um, had a power of attorney to sign the checks for the business. You know, it was incredible. The, uh, you know, I went, I went and did, I went and even um, did my rehab and, and that in uh, Gold Coast and then was allowed out of the Gold Coast Hospital there for day visits. Um couple of my mates flew up, you know, where I grew up from in Melbourne and we went out for day trips, you know, and mm -hmm. people started, um, you know, circling around me and um, the support mechanism was was beyond beyond my expectation, you know, the support I got. But the counselling that I got, um, the grief counselling I got was also a help to me um, because at one stage I, I, I didn't want to be here and uh, I actually thought that I would, come home, you know, chamber the round in the weapon and, and, uh, and I wanted to not, I wanted to kill myself, yeah, at one yeah. stage. But with that support and the challenges that were set to me um, to go on and have a go, which is that great Australian spirit, you know, have a go, mate, show some courage. And, um, and I, I did, I, I needed to, and I, and I took it with both hands and, you know, I, I actually got in the wheelchair, um, learn how to get the wheelchair in the car, learn how to drive again, you know, all that stuff. And just each, each day, each week, I wanted to set myself a goal and, um, and but also allow myself some time to grieve as well. I, um, I lost, uh, lost a really good friend in the club there. I lost a girl I was seeing that night too. She died and, um, you know, a friend, Jodie Kearns from Brisbane, she died, you know, and, um, yeah, it was it was pretty hard thing to, to think that, my life was spared and, and that some of my friends didn't make it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, right. Well, you know, uh, I suppose well, I, I, I couldn't speak from experience in that regard. It was in my situation, I was on my own, but you know, you just, you just don't know. And I think that, uh, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. What, what I can say is, is that, uh, you know, what you've done is, is, um, is not, um, is actually extraordinary, uh, in that quite a few people go the other way, mate. So, um, you know, the story you're telling now and, and your, you know, the journey you shared with us is, is, is a, uh, you know, is inspiration to a lot of people because they, they might think they've gone through it on their own. Um, and having said that, what, what was the, what was the moment that, or, or the information or the inspiration that switched you and, you know, changed you, the lens you're looking at your life through from, I want to chamber around to, I'm going to give it a go. What, what was the, was there, was there something in there that triggered that, that, you know, you snapped out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. Um, it's good and bad on this one, but the hardest thing is to tell you this this exact moment was I uh, I spoke to my mother and um, it's it's usually your mum, you know. Everyone loves your mum. Couldn't no agree matter, more, no mate. Matter. I could not agree more. No matter how big a man you are, but I was actually scared of my mum, you know. But uh, <laughs> she's amazing, you know. But. So she said to me in Darwin, and I was really negative, and she said to me, she said, you know what, because I had a little boy, my, my son was six, and she said, you know what, she said, for Jordan, for your son, and for your family, you've got you've to have a go. You've got to at least uh, let the doctors and nurses help you, and, and you've got to start you know, trying to um, improve your attitude and, and improve and be courageous and... and um, you know, and, and cooperate, you know, with, with your physio and your medication and stuff. I, I just was so angry at the world and so angry of what they took away from me, the terrorists. And, and yeah, and um, at that turnaround moment was when she said, look, she said, son, I understand, you know, she said, you know, I understand probably what you're going for. I've nursed people, you know, my whole career. Um, but she said, look, I will understand if you want to go, you come and see me and then say goodbye. But she said, I want you to have a go first. She said, I dare you to have a go. And when she said dare, I said, you dare me to have a go. I <laughs> dare you to have a go and, and have a crack, have a go. And if you don't like it, you come and see me and say goodbye. We shook hands on it. It must have been the hardest thing my mother had ever done mm. is to challenge mm. me. And, uh, and I did it. And my yeah. attitude turned yeah. around 180. You know, I improved my fitness. I, I did my lung exercises. We were all so sick. And, um, you know, it, it just proved that the positive actions proved to be positive results with me. Yeah. And I got fitter and stronger. And uh, by the time I flew out of Darwin, yeah, I felt, I felt very strong, you know. A lot of work to go yet, though. But, yeah, I felt very strong. And that was my turnaround moment. I was yeah. challenged and I was dared. Yeah, of course. Did you did you have anyone um, you know external to your network of people who who um, potentially through rehab it's you know came to visit you as a mentor to say hey mate it's okay you know being an amputee is 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 not so bad um, you know did you have any of that or were you you basically you know what 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 sort of network did you have outside of your you know your your close crew your your posse yeah. of people yeah you know, and that's an that's an 
incredible, awesome insight that you want to know because you're right. What, what, what did you get and what support did you get to understand what you're actually going to have to deal with and go through? And the answer to that is completely naive, completely vulnerable and scared. I, I, I don't know too many amputee people. I used to run 10Ks a day and box and fight and run a security company and swim and, you know, kind of jump tall buildings, you know, in a single bound, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, uh, and that's it. I'm, I'm down in wheelchair level. Well, lucky enough, there were, um, was a jockey in a wheelchair too that I knew and um, and there's a guy who was always at Melba's. It was a dwarf. And these guys looked at me in a wheelchair and they said, you've always been a mate of mine. And they said, we're so sorry what happened. And I said, mate, I'll get back on my feet. I'll get, I'll get back on my feet. You know, they'll make me a leg. I'll stand up. And they did. But, yeah, there were some incredible people motivating me and helping me and definitely not giving me pity. Yeah. Yeah. And have you come across any of that in that, in that sense where – you know, um, people that you don't know, who don't know your story, um, uh, you know, kind of approach you and say things, you know, I mean, they probably wouldn't say anything to your face, but you get an inclination that they might be saying, you know, yeah, mate, you're, you know, you're crippled now, you're no good. Or is there any of that? Has that ever happened? Or have you picked up any of that where you're, you're now different in that sense or you're not capable? Yeah, there was, uh, couple of moments I'm pretty social kind of guy I was out with one of my friends one night and um, he was having some uh, depression issues after after Bali but you know he, he was a good guy fit and healthy hadn't been to Bali obviously not injured or anything and he uh, he spoke to me while I was in my wheelchair and he said oh I've been having some problems at work and things aren't quite going right for me and I knew that you weren't happy in, in your thought and contemplated suicide and he said, you know, I, I, I've contemplated that as well, you know, things aren't going that well. I got up on one leg and I grabbed him on the front of the chest and gave him a shake and I said, how dare you, you got everything going for you, you got your two arms and two legs and how dare you, you know, say that your life's not worth living, you know. Yeah. I'll tell you what, he said I turned him around with that and he went to the doctors, got some counselling, got some antidepressants and he got back into a suit, shirt and tie and picked himself up and he's an amazing guy today. Yeah. Well done, mate. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something, we, you know, you speak to, I've spoken to a number of people obviously who've been through something and, and um, you know, your story is, it's inspiring but it's actually it seems to be a common thread there, Andy, where, you know, people go through this and, uh, um, and they just don't know what is, you know, what to expect, but they do realize one thing is that, uh, um, is that, uh, you start to appreciate, um, things much more richly, you know, you start to appreciate what you have and, you know, the fact that you're here and, and that, uh, an opportunity or a person or a conversation, it seems to be a level of richness that potentially you, you know, you can harvest from this, right? Pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that's, that's something it's a, uh, you know, good on you for, for, for jumping in and grabbing them by the scruff and saying, mate, snap out of it. Right. Yeah. So, so your journey now you're looking at, you know, we're looking at 18 years almost now we're coming up to 18 year anniversary come this year. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, what, what's, you know, during in that time, what, you know, what stood out to you as one of the biggest hurdles you'd faced over the last say 18 years because of, of this, you know, the injury. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose as a, as a man is to get your self-confidence back is uh, a big thing to admit to you and to you know, people listening to you where you have to admit that you, you lack that self-confidence and you look at yourself and you go, well, I'm not whole or complete, but then you've got so much to offer and so much to give. If you, if you um, just take the time to yeah, uh, try and look back at what you've achieved or what you want to achieve and your goal set and do all of that. And by no way am I a motivator, but you know, I'm working, um, I'm working to better myself. So what I did was try and set those goals to say, well, okay, I wonder if I can reskill. I wonder if I can make my business grow. And I wonder if I can set myself some personal goals. And so I do some scuba diving, um, which I didn't get to do before. Um, I have a little bit more time off. Um, so I used to work weekends a lot. Um, after Bali, I, I wanted to have a better, a better standard of life. So I started having some, some days and some time off and, decided I want to do some diving. So believe it or not, with that soldier, that mate of mine, Anthony McKay, that actually pulled me out of that Sari club that night, um, we've become, you know, best of mates. He's in WA and we, we go diving in Bali and, you know, in other places um, here on the Gold Coast when he's here. And So I've taken up diving and, and I, love, I, I actually, much to my mother's disgust, I got back on a motorbike, to be honest. I got it modified. Excellent. And not only did I... Uh, sell my sports bike that I uh, used to race around on um, irresponsibly. I uh, actually got myself a Harley and um, they modified the gears onto the handlebars for me. And um, I've been riding a Harley fat boy around since 2004. Oh, how fun. That's great. Well, you certainly deserve it. I might've actually seen you around. You ever ride around with your shorts on? <laughs> I do. Yes. Yeah. I would have seen you, mate. I would have seen you cruising down this end uh, down the Burley Way, isn't that something? <laughs> yeah, cool. So, yeah. so, um, yeah, all right. You know, it, you know, it sounds, it sounds like clearly after eighteen years, it's, you know, you've, uh, you've, you've certainly come a long way. But I mean, it just now becomes a footnote in your life, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, just to how, how long do you reckon that you know you were, you know, you were mad about it or or even sad about it i mean how, what was your what do you reckon your um your uh, you know your timeline was in regards to that well i've got to be honest i still am um 18 years hasn't made a lot of difference you asked me a couple of questions earlier on and you 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 know you hit some triggers on uh, things i'm not proud of and you know, I clearly got emotional and um, and teared up and, and need to wipe those tears away. But it took a long time for me to, to come to terms with what I've lost because, um, you know, that what I saw and what I witnessed is also um, etched in my mind that, you know, I, 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 I've been injured and, and, um, and challenged myself with business and everything else. You know, running a company, a security company, is not a soft thing. I, I actually... Um, carry a firearm, uh, handgun most days and carry money, you know, it's part of my job. But um, what I saw that night etched in my memory forever, you know, you get to see that much death, it affects you. And I'll sit down and watch a movie or um, see something 
and it, it triggers an emotion. So I need to occasionally have that outpouring of that emotion. I need my time to myself to just let let that emotion out. Yeah. I don't do drugs, alcohol, and rely on anything else um, to get me through or medication to get me through. Um, you know, great social drinks with my friends and stuff. But so I don't, I don't, I don't succumb to any of those vices. So you know, I just got to let that emotion out occasionally, and then let myself, you know, have that because I need that. I need to let that out and. That's it. So, um, yeah, yeah, hard on hard on the outside, soft the center. You know. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll be. I'll just share with you. I mean, I had my my uh, accident when I was just a kid, ten years old. So, as yeah. a as a young yeah. boy, you know, you you don't have a sense of self. You really haven't, you know, figured out. Well, you haven't figured out much really at ten. So, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 go through the trauma, and I remember it like it was yesterday. But you know, I had a conversation with my folks you know, last week or the week before, just getting a bit of detail in regards to this project. And I couldn't help it. I got emotional. I thought that, oh, yeah, I should be fine. But you just, it's amazing what, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is. And, you know, back in 1977, there was no notion of that whatsoever, right? Um, And so they certainly didn't give you any support. But, you know, I think they probably did a better job 20 years ago. Hopefully it's better now. But, uh, you know, it just, it's one of those, it just doesn't leave you, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, and, you know, I'll, I'll be out somewhere and, um, you know, like it might be when you don't, one of those A-frames fall slap on the concrete or fireworks you don't expect or a car backfire. And you do, you, you know, you uh, you think, wow, I've heard that noise before. And, and you do. It, um, it sometimes takes you back. But, you know, what about when, things come onto the news like the London bombing or Madrid or Paris and these terrorist attacks unfortunately do stay with you and uh, and it does take you back in that moment um, and it's, it's uncomfortable, you know. It's definitely sometimes uncomfortable with the fireworks, New Year's Eve uh, and stuff like that where you've heard that noise before. So yeah. I can understand what our ex-service guys feel like when you got bombs and mortars flying over your head and exploding everywhere and, and they just don't. They just don't ever come out of that. Sure. Yeah, well, it's something that you can relate to. Um, you, know, you know, once again, military people have you know, been through that. For a civilian to understand it, it wouldn't. Um, however, you, you would have that connection. You would, you would understand that. I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, let me. I'm, I'm sure you don't, you know, realize how awesome and amazing you are as a human being. Um, but you know, what what would what would you think would be one of the your most incredible, I suppose, experience and achievements since the accident? Well, I've got to say, helping. Uh, this is, this helping is the time to blow. This is the time to blow your horn, mate. This is the time to get blow the trumpet. I want to hear about it. Yeah. Well. Well. I've got to be honest, I work with some amputees. Um, uh, I was working with some up in Townsville, to be honest. Um, and you're right, I've got that connection with the Army, Air Force, um, and they've become quite a lot of my mates. And, and typically some ex-SAS soldiers have um, picked me up, put me under their wing, and um, they're amazing guys. They uh, they mentor me and take me diving. And But I worked with um, a couple of kids up in Townsville and I had to talk to them pre there having their limb amputated and um, and they would look at mine and my leg and their mum and I would talk to them and I thought 
if I can show them and tell them what's going to happen and that there's life after death on this stuff and there's, you know, hope and you'll be able to get out and play tennis and do that and skateboard and do what you want to do, um, typically when you had your accident you were 10, I've also been able to mentor and help a, a 10-year-old and, wow, um, but the biggest thing was probably getting to know uh, Sophie Delizio and Molly uh, down in Sydney, the two beautiful little girls that um, got caught under the car at the childcare centre and they've lost fingers and legs and hair and ears and going down to Sydney on crutches and going to see those two little girls in, uh, in the hospital and talking to their parents and trying to explain to their parents that it's going to be okay, they're going to be accepted. That were the questions they were asking me with Ron Delizio and, and his wife, Caroline. And they asked, uh, a mate of mine asked me to talk to them on the phone. And I said, no, I'm going to fly down and see them. And I went and saw them. That was the most amazing, inspirational thing that I've had the privilege to do is to see those two beautiful little um, six-year-old kids and, um, and then try and get them to understand that it's going to be acceptable. You're going to be accepted and you're going to be a beautiful woman, which they both grow up to be. Yeah. Amazing. That's fantastic. That, that's inspirational. I mean, you know, you, you've, you've got a lot of influence there as the person you are, just generally as you are. But, you know, you add the uh, uniqueness of your situation and, you're, you know, you become a, basically a superhero, mate. So, well done. Um, I mean, what, what would you, I mean, what would you say to someone who is – you know, advice you'd give someone who is faced with a situation where, you know, the outcome is permanent, you know, like, um, it doesn't have to be an amputation. It could be something even more traumatic. Right. So what would you say? Yeah. You're right. Well, we, we're surrounded by people. Um, look, especially at the moment we're surrounded by people in business, personal life and other with, with this, uh, COVID-19 virus is actually, you know, something brand new to all of us. Right. It's the biggest tragic thing that's happening globally. Now, I've got friends that are now unemployed. They're, they're now losing, you know, their homes and face losing their relationships and their job and their careers and not being able to school their kids and, you know, properly. Um, you know, there's so many challenges now and um, the stress is unbelievable. But imagine having that stress and now having terminal cancer or now having, you know, something that does... Um, put you put you in a wheelchair or, or so yeah I'm ready for I'm ready for that challenge where some of my friends need me but then I'm also asking my staff to lift and I'm drawing on my friends as mentors as well to lift me because I'm also feeling that um, hey you know my business is not bulletproof neither am I but um, yeah so we're all going to stick together so the inspiration I'm getting off other people I'm trying to get and draw and, and, and give back but um Yes, it's a tough gig at the moment, isn't it? We, um, when you think your hardest part of your life is uh, losing limbs and, and things, you just don't want to lose um, something you fought so hard for, which is the lifestyle, your business, your friends, and, and our way of life. I thought yeah. that terrorism was going to take away my privileges, and now we're faced with a financial crisis that could take away our privileges. But look, luckily it's not physical. It's, uh, they're only material products and, and things, but it's still, I can see a lot of damage out there now and we're going to have to help each other. 
and that's what I think this this is all about. Is it's it's a test to help each other now. Right. All right. Well, that's 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 uh, obviously super important and completely relevant right now. Um, final question for you. Uh, I know you. You know, we took a little bit over time, but final question. So, if you could change things, if you could go back to how it was, but you'd have to give up all the learnings that you know you've had over the last eighteen years, would you? No, I'll be honest now. Um, when I brought my way into Bali through customs, that was someone possibly saving, going to say, hey, don't go. Um, don't be there. I was too clever, too smart, and gave the money over and he stamped my passport. I went out that night with my mates. I would not swap my injuries with my mates. Um They've both got their full body legs and everything. That Glenn kept his foot. Absolutely not. I would feel so guilty being back in Australia and my two mates had got bombed in that nightclub and girl I was seeing died and Jody, you know, died and I wasn't there. And no, I wouldn't swap it now. I've got my, I've got my mother and my parents and my family. Uh, my grandfather fought in Gallipoli. We come from a, a family of protectors and um, and I figure that unfortunately this is um, with my destiny and I'm, I'm going to be here to um, inspire people. But, yeah, no, I want to make the fullness of my life. So, no, I wouldn't change it. Um, I wouldn't change my legs being damaged to having one arm damaged and having my legs so I can run. No. You know, I, uh, I accept what happened to me and that's why I'm still here. And that's why I'm trying to look going to be a better person. I wow. accepted what occurred and I accepted what happened to me. So, no, I wouldn't change a thing at the moment. Heck, wow. That's fantastic, Andy. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, one of the oh, – clearly the, the most traumatic day of your life and, uh, and obviously the journey you've been on, which is, you know, affected not only you, obviously, but the people in your family and – well, obviously, yeah. for the most part, uh, if not all of it, in a positive way. So, mate, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. What an incredible story to share on my very first episode of Grid Files. I'm Mark Ludbrook. I want to thank you for joining me today. If you want to know more about Andrew, go to gridfiles.com and you can look up Andrew and all the guests that appear on this show. Thanks again. Be safe. Be gritty. <laughs>